Let's pray. Lord, it is it's such a wonderful comfort and encouragement to know that all that you have ordained, and if it has come to pass, it has been ordained by you, that it is right. We confess, Lord, our, our, our thinking, our understanding, our vision in this is dark. It's clouded. We don't, we don't see clearly. It's obscured and many times veiled. The secret things are of you, Lord, and we don't understand fully why you do what you do. But we do know this, that you are eternally good. You are eternally wise. You are eternally powerful and trustworthy. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to, 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 to burrow ourselves, to nestle ourselves into you and into your care, into your providence, which is over all things, and help us to hear, and help us to see, especially tonight, Lord, help us to see Christ in the, the scriptures. And in doing so, Lord, that we would be encouraged to see him and hear from him everywhere in the scripture. So thank you, Lord, for tonight. We look to you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've said, you know, many times before that my, one of my real heart desires would be that in coming together and into the Word, we would really see Christ as he presents himself to us in the word. And my encouragement, obviously, for you guys is like, I want you to do that all the time, everywhere you are, in the scripture, whenever you're reading, wherever you're reading, you're asking yourself the question, how is this leading me to Christ? How is this showing that Christ is the source of my salvation and also the joy and the hope of my, my sanctification? Because he doesn't just, like, we don't just see him in the text to save us. We see him in the text to, to sanctify us, to, to grow us, to be like him. Be, the Jews' fundamental problem is they miss the Christ, they can't accept his claim to be God because they don't recognize God when they see him. And that proves they have never seen him. They don't, they, they've never, as we'll see here in the text tonight, they've never seen him. They've never heard his voice. They don't have a clue as to who God is. And yet, they're so confident that they do. I don't know if, you've, if anybody's ever tried to convince you of something that, like, they knew, they, they knew it was true, and they're trying to convince you that it's true, and you're just, you know, maybe you're just not buying it yet, but you know that if you were to buy it, it's going to change everything. It'll, it'll turn your whole world upside down. Like, Jesus is speaking in a way to the Jews where he is, he is turning everything upside down. Their understanding of what they hold most dear, excuse me, most dear, is, is being, the foundation is being eroded away. And Jesus is um, doing that so, they, so that they might look to him 
instead of looking to the Scripture. It's an interesting thing, right, that what this book is supposed to do, this book is supposed to lead us and show us God. It is not the end in and of itself. How many people do you know, non-believers, could, could read, take for example, um, the healing at the pool of Bethesda that we read, we, we read a couple weeks ago. How many unbelievers do you know could read that passage and go, oh yeah, I get what's going on. Jesus comes, he heals this guy, it's a great miracle, everybody's surprised. And, they would, and you would go, yeah, that's, that's true. They would read the text and see a lot of the same things that we as Christians see. But what do we see that they can't? We see Christ in a way that they cannot see Christ because they don't know him. They have never met him. But we as people who know him, who have met him and have heard his voice, we see him in a completely different light. And I pray that that's how we read the Bible and seeing Jesus more than in any way that anybody, you know, an average non-believer could read the Bible and walk away with some things and truth of understanding. We walk away going, no, I, I've spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Whatever my God ordains, it's right, because I've met him, and I know him. That's what I pray. One of the things I pray that we get from our time together tonight in John. His, he is establishing himself, his position, his person as divine and just judge. He is the Son of Man. Um, he is being testified to in this regard by God himself, but they can't see it because they love man's glory. It's blinded them. Because they seek man's glory, they cannot see Christ, and they end up making the scriptures about them. And because of that, the scripture remains obscure and veiled. Whenever Moses is read, a veil remains over the face, and it's only taken away when what? people behold Christ. That's when the veil is removed. And so let's behold Christ tonight. Join me in reading John chapter 5, verse 30, verses 30 through 47 tonight. Beginning in verse 30, Jesus is speaking still to the Jews. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved." He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. 
I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Oh man, him going to Moses, that's like a punch in the gut. You don't even know the guy you've set your hope upon. You don't have the slightest clue what his writings are about because he wrote about me. You think you know him? You don't have a clue who he is because you don't understand any of his writings. And if you did, you would see me and go, he's the one Moses wrote of. I want us tonight to look at um, four witnesses and then to look at, the, the, again, the problem as to why they can't hear the voice of these witnesses. Really, God himself is the ultimate witness. He's the one ultimately that's testifying about who Christ is. But he uses means to do so. And that's the scripture. Jesus does, Jesus is teaching them in w one way, um, kind of like a, a, an implied way that they don't understand the scripture, and then in a very clear and explicit way that they don't understand what the scriptures are about, um, which we want to look at tonight. So in verses 30 through 32, Jesus is reiterating his identity. He introduces the fact again, reiterates the fact that he um, has, he's there, he is God in the flesh. Um, he has a witness who is testifying for him, and ultimately that witness is God. But he uses John the Baptist and Moses as well as these witnesses, which we'll look at here in just a moment. Um, in verse 30, not, Jesus says that not only does he see, as we see in verse 19, um, what the Father is doing, but he also hears what the Father is doing. So in verse 19, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. In verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. So his, his sight, his hearing, is, is, is nothing short of divine, of what it is that God is seeing and what God is hearing and doing. It's exactly, again, he, he's He's just using all of this language to communicate to them the shared essence between him and the Father. Different persons, but the shared essence. They are one in unity, in action, in deed, the Son and the Father are. Um, the doc, this, this brushes up against the doctrine of impeccability, or peccability, if you will, if you're familiar with those. Um, and I'll just leave that out there for you to to study on, on your own. But his work is God's work. His sight is God's sight. His hearing is God's hearing. And that which he does, and that's why he is able to be the just judge, as he says in verse 30. He is the judge that judges justly, which means that what he's telling them, his words are truthful. If he was just a judge and he was making judgments on his own accord, we can never be sure that his judgments are actually just because God is the one who's just. 
But by him identifying himself as the just judge, he again is using language to communicate to them, not only are my words authoritative and um, in judgment, but they are completely just. What I'm saying to you is true, and whatever I do and say, whatever I have ordained is right. I judge justly. Why? Because I seek not the will, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is a just judgment? What is a just judgment? From our text, we can see what a just judgment is, is what God wills. What God wills is just, always. And Jesus' judgments, because he only does what the Father wills, all that he does is just. All that he says is just. His judgments are just. His salvation is just. Everything that he's doing in their lives and teaching them how he's overthrowing their entire world is completely right and true and just. He in verse 31, remind, you know, he, he's aware of the Mosaic law, that there needs to be two witnesses to establish something. Not that he needs a witness. He's God, and God can kind of do what he wants. doesn't need anybody to, to, to testify for him. But in order for them, again, to understand, he's speaking their language. And he introduces these witnesses. He says in verse 32, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And this ultimately is the Father. But he fir- our first witness that we see him introduce us to is John the Baptist. Verses 33 through 35, we see John the Baptist. G- John the Baptist bore witness to who Jesus is. They were willing to rejoice for a little while in his ministry. And he uses John the Baptist in an interesting way, right, in verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. The reason why he's using the example of John the Baptist. Why is he using the example of John the Baptist? Why is he using the example of Moses? If God ultimately himself is the one who gives testimony about him, why mention any of these other guys? He's like, guys, I'm speaking your language so that you might be saved. I want you to know that that the Father who testifies about me, he testifies about me, but he testifies about me through the people he has sent you. Look at the love that God has for sinful mankind in sending forth people to proclaim the truth of the word of God regarding the kingdom of God and how one can enter into the kingdom of God for our salvation, for our good, for our blessing. But they need to understand that by rejecting John the Baptist, they don't just reject. To reject John the Baptist is not just to reject John. It's to reject what Malachi said about John. You can't just reject John without, without also rejecting the prophet Malachi and what he said about John. And if you reject the prophet Malachi, then you're rejecting... In Matthew... Um, where's my reference here? In Matthew chapter 5... Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. John the Baptist stands as one who represents the prophets. Luke chapter 7 
tells us in the, in the context of talking about the prophets, he says, no one is greater than John the Baptist. If you reject John the Baptist, who is the Elijah to come, who was thought of as the, the, the greatest Old Testament prophet there is, that's to reject the, pro, the If you reject John the Baptist, who is the greatest, you're rejecting not just him, but you're rejecting all the prophets. You're rejecting every prophet that was sent to mankind to present salvation. Not only that, as you um, reject him as the number one witness, but number two, our second witness, I'm going to jump down to the person of Moses here, is you're rejecting him as well. He tells them that in verse 45 through 47. Moses will not agree with them. Moses will not testify with them regarding their rejection of who Jesus is. In fact, Moses is going to testify against them and in, in, in agreement with Jesus. They come to the end of time, and they see Moses there standing at the judgment, and their hope is that, okay, he's the man that's going to vindicate us, and they're going to be sorely disappointed because Moses is not going to be testifying for them. He's going to be testifying for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because as Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. You reject Moses? You reject me? You're rejecting Moses. You reject Moses, you're rejecting the Pentateuch. You're rejecting the entire law. You reject John, you reject the prophets. You reject Moses, you reject the law. He is just in an underhanded, kind of a backdoor way, told them you have rejected the entire Old Testament because that is how they thought of the Scriptures, the law and the prophets. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Everything that was written in the, law, in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, pointed forward to Christ. All of this front half of your Bible, pointing forward to Christ, and they completely missed him. They're not going to be able to rely upon Moses because they don't... They don't <laughs> They didn't see what Moses saw. Let me remind, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to Christ. He wrote about Christ. They're not going to find Moses on their side. They're going to find Moses testifying against them. And it's a reminder for us, as, they, as, he, tells, as he reminds them and tells them that they had set their hope upon him, upon Moses, we're reminded not to set our hope upon any man any person. We set our hopes solely upon Jesus Christ. I think of um, 1 Peter 1.15. Excuse me, one thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're not a fool if you set your hope completely on Christ, not just for salvation, but for your life, 
for your sanctification, for everything. Witness number three, the scriptures themselves. Verse 39. This is where he makes it really explicit. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. John 5.39 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Because Jesus just makes it really clear on what the purpose of the Bible is, how to use the Bible correctly, a proper exegesis, a a proper hermeneutic, if you will. Jesus is telling us that the Scriptures bear witness about him. The Scriptures in and of themselves do not save. You know, you can understand the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of, the doctrine of justification does not save you. Your eschatology doesn't save you. Your ecclesiology doesn't save you. No doctrine will save you. Scripture itself will not save you. Scripture's job is to lead you to Christ, and he saves you. That's its function. Not to read and know stuff, but to read and see Christ and to have salvation. What would, what would Timothy te- or excuse me, Paul teach Timothy? First Tim- or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I think we are all familiar with 16 and 17, all scriptures God breathed so on and so forth. Verse 15, as he's talking to Timothy, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do the scriptures do? They don't, it, there's no period that the scriptures make you wise for salvation, period. It's the scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The scriptures are always testifying about the necessity of salvation being found in Christ alone, by faith alone. You don't get Christ by your works or by your merit. You get Christ by faith and by faith alone. That is what the purpose of the scriptures are for. And that's why we see Christ everywhere in the scripture. I love the way that Jesus puts it in his walk with the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's speaking to them about what had happened to Jesus, what had happened to him in Jerusalem, and and those, those activities, those events. And he comes to them and helps them understand. And it says in um, Luke 24, 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 31, And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? That's funny. I was reading the Scripture yesterday, and it didn't burn like it's burning today when Christ was speaking to me from the Scripture. Wow, what a difference it is when you see Christ in the Scriptures compared to when you don't. And he goes down later, verse 44. 
Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. He's like, guys, I was everywhere. I'm everywhere. Had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, and, and that... Um, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and go on from there. And he continues to teach them. The point being is that the point of the Scriptures, the point of this book is to lead us to faith in Christ. Not just for salvation, but then as believers, we continue to look to Christ and look for Christ in all the Scriptures for our sanctification, for our joy, for our hope everywhere. In every book that you can imagine. Is Jesus found in Leviticus? Oh, yeah. Is Jesus found in the Song of Solomon? He's there. He's everywhere. We know that because he tells us in John, it is so in John 5, 39. Witness number four is ultimately God himself. Verses 36 through 38. The testimony that I, have, uh, that I have is greater than John, for the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. What are the two things that Jesus said in verse 19 and 30 that he had? He had seen the Father, and he had heard what is it, the two things that he directly indicts them on? You have never heard and you have never seen. But who has? I have. He's saying, I have. I have heard and I have seen. You have never heard and you have never seen. And that is why you don't recognize me for who I am as I stand before you. As the Father has testified to him himself. And so in rejecting Jesus, they reject God wholesale. They reject law, they reject the prophets, they reject the scriptures, they reject God. And this is why, verse 42 through 44. Look at verse 44 in particular. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? There's only room for one glory, and God ain't sharing his. There's no room for my glory in your heart, because what you care about most is your own glory in receiving glory from one another. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him, but you can't receive me. Because I present and I bring a unique glory that jettisons, it, 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 it pushes all other glories aside. But as long as you're pursuing and seeking your glory and man's glory, you have no place for mine. And so they remain blind. They cannot accept his words. They reject him as being the just judge. And Jesus has revealed to them that they don't know God, they do not have fellowship with God, they don't recognize him when they see him. My, my, my conviction as I read through this, and that I pray is, um, is true for you guys, is that when you read, do you see him? And do you, do you hear 
him. As he, as he reveals himself in all the scriptures. Do, we, do you take a casual approach to the word of God and you just read your proverb of the day or your Bible reading plan in a year or wherever you are and you're just happy with reading through it and getting it done and okay, boom, on to the next thing? Or are you looking for him and seeing him present himself in the text? Not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification as well. And do you keep coming to the word for him, for him, for life? Let's pray. Lord, you know that the very thing that I am praying that uh, would happen with myself as I read your word and seeing Christ and beholding him and being satisfied in him is what has happened tonight. I pray that Christ is displayed himself to us tonight and that we have um, we have seen, we have heard and we're happy and satisfied in him. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not fall into just casual ways of reading the Bible old ways of reading the Bible that's just about, let me just get the doctrine right. How easy it is to be looking for right doctrine and completely miss Jesus. Lord, please don't let us do that. And seeing you, we would then put you, put on, put you on and be like you. Be the representation, be, be the voice be the hands, the feet of God to those who are around us. As Ephesians 5, 1 says, to be imitators of you. Lord, help us to be that, to do that, because we see you and, and have heard from you. So um, we look to you, Lord, to do that work in our lives as you see fit, but give us a hunger for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand, and we will sing our last song together.